Man, we had a good time this morning, didn't we? This book, it's just amazing. We need peace from the Word of God. We need peace. What we learned this morning primarily is that peace is the property of God. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Peace I give unto you. My peace. Not as the world giveth unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he said that it's my peace. So peace is the property of God. If you're going to have peace, you've got to get it from God. You can't get it anywhere else. And the main thought from the message this morning that we needed to receive was the minute I begin serving God in an advisory role, I lose my peace. Let me ask you, how many of you this morning, when, when we talked about that, you said, oh, man, how many of you... You, when you, you don't, isn't it great to give suggestions to God? Here, let me help you out with this. Let me show you how to do this. Um, so that's, that's a bad thing. But tonight, let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Get Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. And get 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Galatians 1, 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul, an apostle. This is, uh, this is Galatians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me, unto the churches of Galatia. Unto the churches of Galatia. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we are so thankful that you have communicated to us in a clear and an understandable way. And all we need to do is receive the truth. And then through your grace, we have peace. And Lord, help us tonight to understand when he says unto the churches of Galatia what the apostle is speaking of, what your Holy Spirit was inspiring at this moment, Lord. So please help us and help us to understand the significance of it for us today. And uh, Tristan, great testimony. That is a, that's a blessing that you did that. And from what I understand, you were actually able to display on the computer screen some of the information as you were going through it, right? So he, he was able to, to read it and to be talking and have it on the screen so, she, so that she could see it. And that's just, that's just tremendous. I'm really thankful for that. Um, then, okay, focus, grasshopper. The apostle here writes to, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So kind of our format tonight is going to be things that are true and things that are not true. Things that they did and things that they did not do. What this is not saying unto the churches of Galatia, it's not like here where we have 15 Baptist churches in Shelby County. Did you all know that we have 15 Baptist churches in Shelby County? Now, they might not all still be open. That was several years ago that I looked at that. 15 Baptist churches in Shelby County. And there are basically only four or five that most people even know about. Right? And the reason that there are so many Baptist churches, the first one would be First Baptist Church downtown. And um, that's an American Baptist church. And then um, I believe that our church would have been one of the second oldest Baptist churches in town. I'm not sure. I need to check into that. But what happened was in you had the, the Southern Baptist churches in our area. And, you know, people would move up from Kentucky and Tennessee, 
West Virginia to find jobs in this area. And, you know, it's been said that a lot of the folks were trying to make it to Detroit, but this is all the gas money they had, and they, they stopped here. How many of you have heard that before? And so there's a lot of that. So what happened was you had these Southern Baptist churches, these Baptist churches that were here, and Southern Baptist churches especially years ago, they would, they would have believed and practiced exactly like us. Many of them still do believe and practice a lot like us. Most of them do not. Um, but what happened was you'd have a church and someone wouldn't like the shape of the tables in the fellowship hall. And so they'd have what they call a church split. And a group of those people would go, they'd take mom and them, and they'd go, mom and them, and they'd go and start another small church. And, you know, dad would be the pastor and, you know, me, mom, peepaw, and all them come along. And so you'd have another little church. And this is the story all over America. And so you end up with a bunch of little churches because you have a group of people that were in the flesh and couldn't get along. That's what's going on. And so what happens is it's a... Now, how many of you think God's going to bless that kind of spirit? Rarely is there a church split where God blesses the people that split. Now, if there's a doctrinal reason, if the church is becoming liberal and a group of people who want to stand, they say, you know, we can't be a part of this, so we're going to go over here and have a, a, a true biblical church. God will bless that. Amen? I know a group of you are planning to do that right now. But the... Um, you know, that just happened recently. Sydney, uh, yeah, Sydney Baptist Church. Some people got disgruntled in Sydney Baptist Church. And so now they have, I think it's called New Life Church in Port Jefferson. And I'm not saying that that was all a carnal thing or whatever. I don't have any idea what happened with that. So I don't want to disparage those people. I don't know anything about what happened. But in a lot of the cases, that's exactly what happened. Um, I have seen, I've personally witnessed a church split over the shape of the tables in the fellowship hall. Okay, now how many of you think that's crazy? Now praise God here at Grace Baptist. You know that, at least in my understanding, we've never had anything like that here. Probably the, the number one splitting force in Grace Baptist Church history is Jim Alter. And we won't talk about that. So what happened is you end up with all of these little congregations with a few family members, and they have their church. Now, if you're not from the same background that I am, and some of you are, that sounds really crazy to you. Because like, if you grew up in the Lutheran church, people didn't split off the Lutheran church and go start another Lutheran church in town. Right? That didn't happen with the Methodist churches. It was a denomin in, in those denominational churches, they wouldn't have the authority to do that. Okay, but Baptists as independent congregations, just go, man. You don't like what's going on, go and start your own. That's not what's going on in Galatia with the churches of Galatia. We need to understand where this is. This is in central Turkey. And it's a mountainous region in central Turkey. Um, we have some folks who come from Piqua. We have some folks who come from Troy. The Browns used to come from Huber Heights. Uh, we have folks who drive a significant distance um, uh, out in Houston. And we have people who drive a significant distance, McCartyville. If you had to walk, you probably wouldn't be coming to Grace Baptist Church. Sue lives across the street and she just raised her hand. <laughs> She's going to split and take mom or nam and go and start her own church. 
the, so it, it's a different situation, a completely different situation. Some of these congregations probably only had 10 or 15 people in them. But they were all the believers that were within walking distance of that congregation. So when the Apostle Paul came and started preaching the gospel, people would come from miles around to hear the gospel. And then through the apostolic authority, the authority that was given to the apostle, there were churches established in these different areas. So when it's talking about the churches of Galatia, it's not a concept of division, of of disunity. It wasn't that this church teaches this doctrine and this church teaches this doctrine and this church teaches this doctrine. Did you all hear about the guy that uh, he got shipwrecked and ended up on a desert island by himself, just alone? He's there for years and they come and rescue him and the camera crew comes through and they said uh, they're walking through and they see he's got his, his, his hut and he's got a building here and a building over here. They take him to this first building and he says, what's this building? And he says, well, that's my church. He said, what kind of a church is it? He said, it's a Baptist church. I figure if I'm going to be here, I need to be in church. He said, what's that building over there? Oh, this is a church I used to go to. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the way that Baptists have been known. That's not what was going on here. Now, praise God, that's not what this church is known for. And I'm not giving you any ideas. So that's not what this is talking about. So this leads us to another question. When he says, unto the churches of Galatia, what's he talking about? Well, let me just give you a couple of tidbits about Galatia, for those of you who are into the minutiae. The group of people that would have been in Galatia, they were the Hittites. Isn't that interesting? Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband that David had killed. And they were fierce fighters there in Galatia. That's the ancient people that were there. When Alexander the Great came into Europe and started sweeping through Europe, the, the Gauls, the Gallic people, the Celts, they an entire mob of them who were driven out of Ireland and England and that area, they got driven into Asia, into Asia Minor here, into Turkey, and they came through as hordes and they became mercenaries. They would work for whatever power would pay them. And so that area actually became controlled by Celts, later called Gauls, the Gallic people. Isn't that interesting? I was trying to, Laura had asked me the other day, we're talking about the, this, the Gallic wars, is that the same thing as, as the Gaelic? And I said, no, it's not. And I was wrong. It is, it's the same people. But they were just, they were just moved by um, Alexander the Great. So that's some interesting background. By the time the Apostle Paul gets here, it's a Roman province, and they're under Roman rule. And uh, they're known as being a fickle people. And so they received him gladly. And then later on, when somebody told them they had to do works in order to have salvation, they rejected the Apostle Paul. So when you're looking at these churches of Galatia, we need to look at what kind of people were they. So now, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you to see the warning that the Apostle Paul was giving to the church at Corinth. And, of course, this is just a different part of Turkey. It's in a very similar area. This would just be coastal as opposed to the high country. So let's look at this. Let's start reading uh, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear 
lest any, lest by any means the serp, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Um, Ed, you thinking about that? We went to that on the Baptist history tour. We went to this mountain church, and this this preacher was preaching about that subtility, the subtility, and uh, so anyway, he needed phonetics. Um, so. I fear lest any, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Check this out. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? What was the thing that the Apostle Paul was worried about? That, these, that the church at Corinth and the churches at Galatia and this is exactly the same. What he's talking about here is exactly what had happened in Galatia. These churches, they were moving away from the simplicity of Christ. And I've got to tell you, the church and what the church is and what the church is supposed to accomplish is very simple. And this is why this simplicity has been rejected in Christianity today. Let me give you an example of it. I mentioned this morning that Brother Fagali is having myself and Jeff Faggart come and teach the pastors from Iraq and, and these other countries, Jordan and these other countries, at a camp in Lebanon. And a lot of these guys, they really emphasize education. Many of them have doctorate degrees. And so as they're advertising it, he has sent Jeff and myself questionnaires about our qualifications. Well, Jeff's came back. Now, first of all, Jeff is a very humble man, and he's not going to, even if he had a ton of education, he's not going to write it down on a piece of paper and send it to somebody. He's just not going to do that. But so Brother Fagali calls me nervous. This is yesterday. And he says, Brother Alter, I was talking to so many of my friends, and they don't know who Brother Fagali is. They've never heard of him. And I... <laughs> I said, well, the reason that your friends haven't heard of him at the big conferences is this. I said, when's the last time you heard a doctrinal sermon at a major conference? He said, well, n almost never. <laughs> That's why you've not heard of Jeff Faggart. I said, let me tell you Jeff Faggart's qualifications. He never went to college. He pastors a little church in the mountains of North Carolina back on a farm, Right? I mean, you go back on this road, and it's on a farm. It's a building back on this middle of nowhere. That's where his church is, small congregation in the middle of nowhere. So I said to Brother Figali, I said, here, here, let me explain to you Jeff Faggart's qualifications. He never went to college. He pastors a small church in the mountains, and he's forgotten more Bible than Clarence Sexton knows. So if you want to put that in a letter and send it around, go ahead. But you've got to understand something. He knows more Bible than anyone I know. That's why when you asked me who can teach on this subject, who do you know that would be the best person to teach on this subject, the first person that came to my mind is Jeff Faggart. And I've just got to tell you, when Brother Faggart preaches a doc on the Baptist History Tour, 70 preachers are there. And he preached a message. And every preacher, every preacher in the place, when he was done, said, I've never heard anything like that. I've never heard anything like that. Do you know why? He hasn't had to unlearn all the doctrinal error that's taught in the seminaries today. Why is there a bunch of errors in the seminaries? 
because they've been beguiled through the serpent and they've lost the simplicity that is found in Christ. I, sh I, I don't think I have to say this, but I feel like I should. For you guys, I don't have to say this. You know we're not anti-education. Amen? We are pro-education. We're for that. But the, but the letters after a person's name when it comes to the Scriptures... Now, for my doctor, I really hope that he's got his doctorate. Amen? I'm not interested in Denver pulling out his skill saw and doing surgery on me. Even if he did a CAD drawing of it first, I'm not interested in that. All right? But when it comes to the Scriptures, do you know what you have to have to be a phenomenal Bible teacher? the Holy Spirit in you, and the Word of God. That's it. And as I travel and speak to pastors, I try to encourage them because here's what they say. Um, and this is going to sound self-serving, but I'm self-serving all the time, so I'll go ahead. Um, here's, what I, here's what I get. I wish I had your memory. And here's my answer. Do you have a pencil? Write it down and read it. I believe that every preacher who is called of God has the Spirit of God and the Word of God should preach powerful, exceptional sermons every time he stands in the pulpit. And here's, here's, here, But here's our humanistic thinking. Here's what they say. Well, not everyone's an exceptional preacher. Doesn't have anything to do with the man. See, that's our problem. We like to exalt the, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Uh, what school did you go to? Well, I didn't. Oh, okay. What? This, this is where we are in Christianity. So what happened 2,000 years ago, 1,700 years ago now, they started moving away. They didn't heed Paul's warning. And they started moving away from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to look at what did these churches look like? What did they look like? And there's so many things that I want to say. So I'm, this is a little scattered, I know. But one of the big problems that we have in America... In other places, it's not as big a problem. But here in America, one of the great problems that we have is people are able to church shop. I've got a friend in Mason who said there are 10 other churches in town that believe almost the same thing we do. So they can go to the one that has the best children's program or the best music program or the best whatever. Now, one of the problems was is there really were 10 churches in town that were as good as his church because he had been removed from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And he had gotten away. He was looking to the scholars for information. So what he was doing was he was telling his people the exact same thing that all of the other churches in town were telling their people and never actually getting into the meat of the Word of God, comparing the words, comparing things spiritual with spiritual, having God build people through the Word of God. Now, how many of you understand that discipleship is a huge part of Grace Baptist Church? I don't know. I don't know if there's 50 churches in America. 
that might be small. There's probably not 500 churches in America that do discipleship like we do. Now, think about that for 300 million people. For 300 million people. Is discipleship part of the Great Commission? How is it that 50,000 churches in America don't even understand what the Great Commission is? How many of you think maybe they've, they've moved from the simplicity that's found in Christ? Is it too warm in here? I think it's too warm in here because either I'm really boring or it's too warm in here because eyes are rolling back in their head, your heads. So, now, let's roll on with this. So, let's look at the church. What work, have your Bibles ready, we're going to go through and we're going to learn what these churches looked like. So, don't. Re- I want you to remember, it's been a while since I told you what a church is. A church is a called-out assembly of born-again, baptized believers meeting voluntarily in a specific location for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission, observing and defending the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, fellowship, and doing whatsoever the Lord's commanded. That's what a church is. Now, let me say this. Through history, it hasn't said Baptist church over the door. Do you know what they were called? The church in that town, because there was only one kind of church. And do you know that the early Baptists still felt that way? In the 1600s, it was the church in Bristol, England. It was the church in Winslow, England. Benjamin Keach pastored the church in Winslow, England. That was it. And do you know that they didn't even call their buildings churches? They called them meeting houses. Because the meeting house is where the church gathered. Do you know what they understood? Simplicity. Simplicity. Now, I really appreciate our musicians. How many of you appreciate what the musicians do here? Do you know that, though, if we didn't have musicians, we could still have church? So that's, you know, we've talked about it before. These mega churches, I think this coming Christmas will be on a Sunday and the mega churches won't be able to have church because they can't put the dog and pony show on. And people won't come just to hear the preaching of the word. Now, I praise God. We have prayed for the musicians. We have prayed for the musicians that we have. I'm glad that they're here, but you can have a church service without any musicians. But you can't have a church service without believers in the Word of God. Do you know that you can have a church service without a pastor? Many of you would prefer that. Godly people come together in a man that meets the qualifications of, of the Scriptures in First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus would stand up and teach the Word of God. And there were a bunch of men in the churches that could do that. That's what church was. Now, personally, I'm really thankful that we have this beautiful building and the padded pews and and the instruments and the PA system and the the visual aids that we have, the songbooks. How many of you are thankful that we have those things? How many of you think they had those in Galatia? They might have been meeting under a tree somewhere. You know, when I went to Switzerland and I was in that cave where people are hiding in the cave so under behind the waterfall so they could sing out loud. The churches, what did they look like? All right, let's dive into this. What were the purposes of the early church? Let's go to Acts 2.1. Acts 
What were the purposes? I have actually told pastors, I've spoken to pastors whose churches are struggling in the area. And I said, well, why don't, we, why don't you just bring your people over here? We'll sell your buildings. Your people become members here. We'll have, a, we'll have a bigger congregation, more capable of accomplishing things. We'll have better financial means to accomplish things. Oh, no, I don't think our people would do that. That's their church. Do you realize how much of God's money is wasted in Shelby County, Ohio? Because we've got to have 15 different buildings when there's only one book and there's only one mission. Amen? There are churches in town where the teaching might not be exactly the same, but Chad Inman is every bit as much of a believer and a Baptist as we are. That's a good man. Amen? There are other people in town that are doing what we are doing. Dave Moran is a good man. I see him in the hospital. We've done funerals together. We've talked about the Word together. He's got great folks in his congregation. But there's a bunch of little churches around here that ought to come with to us. Or to, or to you know, Brother Moran. It's silly, the division. Right? But I'll tell you what, there's some other churches in town that we could not come together with. Why? Because they do not fulfill and are not established for the same purposes that we are. So let's look at it. What were the purposes of the early church? The first is Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So they all had a Honda. But they were all, with all accord in one place. So the first purpose of the church was assembly. It was assembly. How many of you think that's simple? That's very simple. Uh, you understand what a big problem that is now? You know how many Christians say, I don't need to come to church. I want to worship God in my own way. Really? Well, then you can't be obedient to God's purposes because His purpose is for us to assemble. All right? Their second purpose, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 21. Let's, um, you know, for context, go to verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Look at this. Because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. So when the people came together and they preached and here they were doing miracles, when they came together, it caused people to worship God and bring glory to God. Look at verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. What are they doing? 
They're coming together and they're worshiping God in the midst of persecution. They're crying out to God and worshiping Him. And they're causing the people in the community to glorify God along with them. That was the purpose of it. When somebody comes here, I want them not to care about anything that's going on here except that we as a church are going to glorify and exalt God and His Word. Then look at verse 31. So their first purpose was assembly. Their second purpose was worship. Here's their third purpose. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they all spake the Word of God with boldness. So here's their other purpose, prayer. Prayer. And do you notice what happens when people are filled with the Spirit of God? They speak the Word of God with boldness. How many of you think that maybe we at Grace Baptist Church could use a little bit of the Spirit of God to help us speak the Word of God with boldness? Same thing here. Same thing here. That's the purpose of the church. Um, Then, mutual aid and assistance. Look at uh, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Of course, you know that Acts is the history of the first 30 years of the local church. Acts chapter 11 and verse 27. And in these day, days came prophets from Jerusalem unto, unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus. I should have named my son that. And signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So it's mutual aid and assistance. So it's like when we have a need, one of our missionaries has a need, we hear of a church family that has a need. When we come together, we stand up and explain the need and we all give money to that need. And you send it in the hands of myself or of one of our missionaries. Um, Some people wanted to give toward what uh, Brother Clayton is doing in the Philippines. And they gave it to Grace Baptist. Grace Baptist gave it to Brother Clayton. And Brother Clayton took it to the Philippines to help those people. Do you see how we are fulfilling the purposes of what these early churches were doing? Now, let me explain something to you. You say, well, that's normal. That's what churches do. How many of you came from a church where you had no idea what a missionary was? Never saw it. If you went to a Southern Baptist church now, you'd never see a missionary. They have a cooperative program. The cooperative program, every church is required to give to the cooperative program. And the cooperative program hires the missionaries. The churches never see them. There's no personal contact with it. If you belong to a denominational church, a Lutheran church or something like that, it's not supported by the churches. The churches give money to the diocese. The diocese takes care of the the church, of the missionaries, of the mission's work. It's not like this. That's not the simplicity that we see here. Then, um, teaching and preaching of the Bible. Look at Acts chapter 13. Teaching and preaching of the Bible. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch... Now, let me just say something. Um... like I might have to continue this in a second session. That's okay. Or we could stay. But the church that's at Antioch, the churches in Galatia, the church at Corinth, 
it's not talking about all the believers that are in Corinth. It's not talking about all the believers in the world. One of the huge problems that we have, and this came out of the Protestant Reformation, is the speaking of the church. You know, you'll hear Chuck Colson get on the radio or on television or, or um, Franklin Graham or someone like that, and they'll say what the church needs to do. And they're talking about all believers everywhere. Well, all believers everywhere cannot function together. We cannot function together. It's like the Tea Party movement. There have been those people who care about fiscal responsibility and out-of-control government have been around really since Goldwater. Right? Jeff, did you vote for Barry Goldwater? <laughs> um, so they've been around for a long time. They've been around for a long time. Right? But they've not really... You know, you had the Reagan Revolution where conservative Democrats and conservative Republicans came together and accomplished some things in the country. But there wasn't really genuine change. What's different? Well, the crisis has, ca has caused these people of all varied backgrounds to come together and say to government, stop. You remember how the Tea Party movement was mocked? At the beginning, remember how they were called angry white men? If you saw Wisconsin, it's angry white men and women. Everything that the Tea Party was accused of and didn't do, that's what's going on in these liberal protests going on right now. It's interesting how the media misses that. Um, but what happens is these people come together and now something can be accomplished. All believers everywhere are not going to accomplish anything. Why? Because we have different purposes. Because we have not submitted to the Word of God together. Where we become active and able to use our spiritual gifts properly and able to fulfill God's plan in the age is when we come together in local congregations. That's what a church is. So when it's talking about the church at Antioch, it's not all the believers in Antioch. It's the believers that have united together in membership in that city. And then they accomplish great things. Man, we can't miss that. We cannot miss that. How many of you think it might be good to get in on God's plan for the age? See, that's the problem with Christianity in the world is they are trying to accomplish things rejecting God's plan for the age. And we wonder why the world's a mess. So this, that's why this is so important. Unto the churches of Galatia. What was he talking about? All right, so here at Antioch, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Maenaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So there were people that were poor people, slaves, and people from the ruling class, all in this church. How many think that's the way a church ought to be? I agree. Amen. I'm thankful that we have every brand of person in Shelby County comes to Grace Baptist Church. Praise God. And not one of us is any better or worse than anybody else. We're blood-bought sinners gathered together in this place under our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. But they were teachers. And look at what they did. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, 
The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So there were teachers, and they were ministering to the Lord. That's what's going on. Now look at verse 5. So Saul and Barnabas are sent out from the church, and when they had reached uh, Salamis, what did they do? They preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So they're, they're preaching and teaching the Word of God. Look at verse 14. And when they departed from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent, to them, uh, sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up. And beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. And so then he begins preaching the Word of God to them. Starts with the Word of God and preaches the Word of God. So one of the key things, and that's why what is the, the primary thing that happens in the church service is the preaching of the Word of God. That's what it's about. Um, and I got to try not to make this a cultural commentary. The preaching... In America today, and I've heard that statement all my life, what's wrong with America today? And I remember thinking, okay, tell me again what's wrong with America. How many of you feel that way? But I can tell you, the state of preaching in our nation is deplorable. And I'm not just talking about, you know, in a church with a woman pastor. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about churches like ours. When I go to these preachers' meetings, it's the worst preaching you've ever heard in your life. I don't talk about it very much because I don't want you to think bad about preachers. But how many of you get to visit churches when you go on vacation or whatever and you say, oh my goodness. Seriously, how many of you that's happened to you? Now, praise God. I love it when you go on and you say, man, I went to church. The preacher, the preacher did a great job. That was a great... Isn't that encouraging? When you go to... How many of you... I can't tell you how many times I've been on vacation. We just try and find a church. You go in there and you sit there and you go, Oh my goodness. That's not what that means. You got that many... Just awful. Do you think maybe we have moved from the simplicity that is in Christ? Do you know why those churches are that way? Now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this and I'm going to be done because I want us to... I want you to really be able to get this stuff. It's important. Um, the reason the state of preaching is that way in our churches is for two reasons. Well, let's say three reasons. The first reason, the first reason is most preachers don't believe the book they hold in their hands. That's the first reason. They don't believe every word of it, so they're not confident in what they say. They're, they're, I've had preachers say to me, are you sure about that? I'm not as confident about that as you are. Yeah, I know, I can tell. And the Bible says, if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who can run to the battle? You know, can you imagine soldier? Okay, is that Reveille? Is that, or is that mass call? What is that? Or is that charge? How many of you think maybe they ought to know the difference? But these preachers are, they're uncertain. They do not believe. Now, let me be real specific here, okay? So there's no confusion. This will be on the website. If you're listening to this, I don't want there to be any confusion. I believe that the King James Version of the Bible 
is the preserved Word of God in the English language. All right? The problem is most preachers in America do not believe that. They think that they are qualified to correct it. Can you imagine that? Seriously. Can you imagine that? And so that's why their preaching stinks. All right? The second reason, the second reason that preachers, the state of preaching in America is so lousy is because the preacher doesn't understand what his job is and the people don't give him the time to do it. You all do. Um, somebody, uh, uh, Harold McKnight, I write articles for the paper, and I forgot to write it. This It was due a week ago, and I forgot. I, I'll confess, we can do <laughs> later on. Um, but Harold McKnight, when he's called me, I've been in different places preaching. And he ran into Joby Jimerson at Arby's. And he said to uh, Joby, he said, your preacher's not around very much, is he? And Joby said, well, he's ministering the word. <laughs> She's got it. What is my job? Minister the word and take oversight of the church. And I got to tell you, church administration doesn't take that long. My job is to give myself to the study of the Word of God and prayer. I'm to labor. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the Word of God and in doctrine. That's what the Bible says. So when I'm preaching to preachers, and I'm trying to get them to elevate the level of their preaching without telling them they're, they're lousy, uh, I, I use an example of this. Um, Doug Schmidtmeyer... His job is basically to move engine blocks. That's a component of your job. So some days he comes into church walking like this. Yeah, I had to pick up a block today. And so, and, and many of you have a job that is, it's, it's very physically intensive. You guys understand what labor is, don't you? So I said, imagine moving engine blocks for eight hours. That's your job. You're going to move an engine block. As I ask these preachers, how many of you would compare your study in the Word of God to that? And these guys are going to go online and get a sermon outline, spend 30 minutes on it, stand up and tell some jokes, and that's the extent. And here's the deal. There's a church here in the state. I preached at a fellowship meeting with the pastor. It's a very large church. A thousand people go there. After the meeting, he said, uh, Jim, can you come? And show me how you prepare a sermon. And again, if I can be bold, it's because his sermon was terrible. He said to me, Jim, can you come? Uh, you're going to be in town. Would you show me how you prepare a sermon? And so I've got my computer and I showed him my process that I use. And here, listen to what he said. I don't have time to do that. And I said to him, maybe you need to review your job description. You see, the purpose of the church is worship. The way that we worship is through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. 
The way that you are going to grow is by studying God's word for yourself with the Holy Spirit teaching you. Amen? That's the way that you're going to do it. And then we come together and I turbocharge your learning. Because my job is to teach you. It's not to give you the gospel every Sunday and find a different way to do that every Sunday. Although we give the gospel every Sunday. But if that's all we get, then I'm not doing my job. And so what you all need, I know you're probably thinking, Pastor, this is a message for preachers. No, this is a message for Grace Baptist Church to understand what a church is. And like I said in Sunday school, man, I'm so thankful to be the pastor here because you all give me the liberty to do what God has called me to do in this place. I get to study God's Word all the time. What a blessing that is. And you guys, your job then is to take that teaching home, make sure that what I've said is in the Word of God, and then live it out as light in the world. That's what a church is. So when Paul is writing to the churches at Galatia, there was a simplicity there. And they believed a very simple set of doctrines. That's what a church is. The reason there's so many different flavors of churches is because they've moved away from the simplicity that is found in Christ Jesus. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.